what really gets my dick hard is. Yeah. 
And that was a perfect circle with Hourglass from their newest record entitled Eat the Elephant, one of my favorite records of the year. Um, I go through whole ranges of emotions listening to that record. Uh, I, I've listened to it for sleepy time. I listen to it on airplanes. I listen to it to be in a meditative mood. I listen to it to fucking rock. It's made me laugh. It's made me cry. Um, that song in particular, Maynard impresses me so much because... He's done what a lot of my heroes have done as I've grown up. They've grown up too, and it's it's he's taken on a, a larger message than the maybe some of the bigger themes of uh, when he was in his 30s, which is kind of when we all came online with him, with all the angry Jesus stuff and <clears throat> all that. And what happens is all of our heroes get older, and we, we see this with James Hetfield too. By the way, this is an all Metallica podcast. This is a bonus episode where I basically host a radio show and take some questions. I talk about some of my favorite music. Now... What I love about this song, and the, and the whole record, Eat the Elephant, is about this, is it's about getting back to what it means to be a human being. And for those of you who live in America that listen, I know a lot of uh, a lot of our listeners are elsewhere, but for those of you here know that it's gotten kind of weird here, wherever you sit on the political divide, whether you're pro-Trump or anti-Trump, it doesn't matter. It feels scary here. It feels different. Things feel uh, like they're on the cusp of violence or... Maybe they'll never be the same again, and maybe that's good, and I don't know. And none of that really matters, because what does matter is getting back to being a human being. And um, we live in a sort of the strange culture, outrage culture, where it's really difficult to be offended, difficult to disagree with someone, difficult to hear someone's point of view with empathy. We're totally fucking screened out. We've been, we've bought the, we've wholesale bought into this bullshit fake intimacy thing on the internet where basically everyone lies everyone pretends to have the life that they want because they know they'll get away with it because someone's just seeing an update or a picture that you that it took you 25,000 photos to get the one that made it look like your life is wonderful and the truth is your life is wonderful and horrible and everything in between it's messy it's ugly it doesn't fit in the status update on fucking instagram and we've just it's fun to play with that shit but we've we've replaced real life with that and, you know, when I think about my relation to music and what makes me hopeful and happy, I no longer want to see the world burn down. You know, I want to see the world be a place where my daughter can grow up and where I can get a cup of coffee with someone that isn't like me. And it doesn't end with, uh, you know, being unfree. I'm going to, you know, the whole thing of like, if you disagree with me, you can unfriend me. Well, you can't do that in life. I know I'm kind of jumping around here. Um Maybe we'll explore some of these themes later. Uh, I don't really know why I jumped all into that. I, I don't plan what I'm going to say for these. I haven't even read the questions that people have been submitting. We've got a shit ton of questions. I try to make the space super duper pure um, and raw 
and about celebrating music. So speaking of that, this next band is a band you guys have probably heard me talk about. I think I've played them on a previous radio episode. It's a band called the Damwells from Brooklyn. They no longer exist, sadly. The many pressures of making a living in the music industry um, took its toll on this band. We're all, uh, we all suffer for that. But hey, some of these things are unavoidable. And um, I'm friends with some of these dudes. We keep up. They're all doing well. And I want to play you the first song I ever heard. I saw this band uh, play a festival in Birmingham when I was a kid called City Stages. Well, I wasn't a kid. I was like 18. And I was there to see Pete Yorn or some shit <laughs> play later in the day. And um, I got there. It was a, one of those early slots that they put like little indie bands in. At this point, this band was brand new. This is maybe 2000. One, two thousand, and they were playing. There weren't a lot of people out there, but it was so good. It ro- it really rocked. It was just a four piece rock band. No bullshit. No tracks. You know, not particularly good looking dudes. You know what I mean? Like, I think they're handsome men, but you know what I mean. They weren't like uh, your Justin Bieber's. They really just were like standing on the merits of the music, and it began to rain, and it rained, and all the people that out there were out watching the show kind of split. And the lead singer was like, you know, kind of faux anger. He was like, where the fuck are you guys going? You're not going to melt. And then he like played the rest of the show, like holding his Les Paul in the rain. This is like cool little protest. So, of course, me being the 17-year-old impressionable burgeoning rock musician that I was then, immediately went to their merch tent. They only had one record out. It was called PMR Plus One, which I later learned stood for Poor Man's Record because they recorded it in rented storage units while on the road. And to my surprise, it it didn't rock as much uh, as they did live, but it's really delicate, really cool, really unique. I basically learned how to play guitar from this guy, Dave Chernis. Uh, Not personally, I've met him several times, but I mean, I studied these records. And Alex Deason, the, the primary songwriter, the front man, I mean, I... This is this this is my as as much as John Lennon, as much as James Hetfield, as much as Paul Simon. This is the bed of uh, influence I go to when I sit down to write every day. So, without further ado, here is the Damwells with a lovely song called "Here Comes Everyone."
beautiful. You guys can't see me, obviously, but I'm sitting here in my studio, and when I do these radio episodes, I listen down live with you guys, and man, just grinning ear to ear, <laughs> screaming every word in my studio. Um, the Damwells, that's on a record called PMR Plus One. The song's called Here Comes Everyone. HCE was the acronym on the copy of the record I had, and I found that to be mysterious at the time. I really liked it. Now... I opened these things up to some questions uh, from listeners on the Instagram and on the Twitter. I don't do Facebook. Um, let's dip in here. I have not pre-read any of these, so who knows what they're going to say. Let's see. Antalica09 says, can we get any hints as to what the very cool news was last week? Okay. So you're going to hear about this on next week's episode. I think I'm going to put this out on Friday, which means it's the day after Thanksgiving. Which means, by the way, happy fucking Thanksgiving. I hope you had a lovely time sitting with your family, trying not to talk about Donald Trump. Okay. Now, the hint is, okay, so many people thought that the big news, and I hate when people do that usually, but, you know, what can I say? We gotta, we're in the entertainment industry here. We gotta, we gotta drum up some excitement. Now, we're not, it's not us meeting the boys, I'll tell you that. A lot of people speculated that maybe we'd, we'd nab Lars or something. Now, that kind of thing is definitely in the works, okay? So, hang on to your butts for that. Uh, I can't say what the thing is, but it's really cool, and it's it's real close to as cool as meeting one of the boys. I know that doesn't help a lot, um, but you're going to hear all about it on Monday. So just sit tight. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun news. Uh, I think you guys are going to like it. Master of Puns says, What are your thoughts on bands like Angel Witch and Venom? Well, I have not really listened to much of either of those bands. So, if you want to send me a, uh, don't send me a ton of shit. Just tell me a few songs to check out, or a record, you know? Like, if you overwhelm me, I'm less likely to check it out. You know, does that make sense? Oh, Venom, like, tell me something to listen to. Okay, dude, here's the deal. Their first record, this, listen to these two songs. On their third record, though, they got a new guitar player named Scallywag. Now, you're going to want to hear tracks 3, 8, and 10 from that. My personal favorites are 8, 9, and 11, but you need to listen to 3, 7, and 10. Now, 17 years later, they had a reunion tour. There's a live record from that tour. You listen to tracks two and seven. See, you see what I'm saying? Just tell me like one, because here's the deal. Give me the one quintessential Venom song. If I like that song, I'm going to check it out. If I don't like that song, chances are, chances are low. But I'm interested. So send me all that stuff, Master of Puns. C-Tags19, listen to, listen to Woe Fat and tell us what you think. Okay, well, again, which song? Just let me know which song. I looked them up before I did this. They're apparently a Texas Doom band, which I like. I like that. Paint Yourself a Picture, which I believe is our friend Tiffany, says, can you explain how cover songs work from a royalty profit standpoint? I don't remember you talking about this before, but I've wanted to ask and wondered about it often, especially when a group does an entire album of covers with the availability of Cover Our World Black and Now for Purchase. Hello, by the way. Uh, it made me wonder again, thanks. Oh, and then she signed it T. That is Tiffany. Um, we covered this on our Garage Days, or Garage Inc. episode. Um, and I'll try to give you a crude... Uh, so, th the nuts and bolts of how we're putting out these EPs is um, we go through a company called DistroKid. You can check it out, distrokid.com. And they basically facilitate. So, so what you have to do when you put out cover songs, you have to have a mechanical license. You have to have a license to put those songs out. And the, the going rate is you owe a songwriter 
uh, nine cents per dollar for every copy you make of that song. So if we printed 10 million CDs, we would owe them whatever the math is on that. Please don't make fun of me for not knowing that and just understand where I'm coming from here. I play guitars for a living. Um, but that's how it breaks down. Now, our our little indie operation is so small that it's affordable for us to put out a record like that. Now, Metallica has said publicly that part of the reason that they made those records was because they knew it would generate so much income for the bands and songwriters um, that they were covering. They, they even said in that documentary about the making of Garage Inc. that it was in some ways a thank you to them. And I know, like, the guy from Budgie has come out and, uh, you know, King Diamond's come out and said that, that, you know, Brian Tatler and Sean Harris, they've all said, those those dudes making those records basically, you know, saved them. I'm sure Dan Zig is similar. Um, You know, think about all those bands that that I'd never heard of, you know, before Metallica. Obviously, the Thin Lizzy's and the Bob Seeger's. But, you know, shit, Merciful Fate and all that stuff. So... Our deal is is so mom and pop and tiny that we're able to facilitate it through an indie company like DistroKid. So it's on the up and up. It's on the level. Um, if something crazy happens and we sell a shitload of those, then I'm sure that there will be some restructuring and some contact with management, label, all that. But for now, we're under this umbrella and we're good to go. A mechanical royalty is a payment for any copy of anything. That means a CD, a vinyl, MP3, streaming, a ringtone, and there is a there's a company in the states that basically takes care of that. They're called the uh, the Harry Fox Agency. They basically handle all the mechanicals. So that's it's kind of a long convo, but that's the nuts and bolts of it. I hope I I uh, helped you out there. We'll do a few more of these. What non metal song would you like Metallica to cover? Oh, dude. I mean, pff, shit. Fuck it. I'll just say Ants Marching by Dave Matthews because that would be incredible. I mean, I, that's a thoughtful question. It deserves a thoughtful answer. I just don't have the time. I mean, I think they're so good at covers, I like to see them cover anything, you know? I love their version of Whiskey. I love their version of Turn the Page. I love Astronomy. Um, I like when James did Only Happy When It Rains. What a strange decision to cover garbage, you know? Um, I know he did that Adele song with his kid. I mean, I, I think they're so interesting as artists, and I'm so... I, I trust in their vision so much that I'd love to see his angle on any of it, you know, on anything. Madonna, Lady Gaga, Prince, fucking Chumbawamba. He takes a whiskey drink, yeah! He takes a lager drink, yeah! Ooh, Danny boy. (laughs) Okay. You always talk about... Oh, sorry. This is G... Oh, that, by the way, that was Casper Loves Metal that asked that. GD Pinna, too, says, You always talk about what you would ask the guys if you met them. What are a few things you'd ask or tell Jason if you bumped into him? Well, if I only had a little bit of time, of course, I would tell him thank you. And I would tell him that um, his presence and his work in Metallica uh, make up some of the most important uh, bodies of music and eras of music in my life and that... He is my number one teacher on how to be a great performer and how to be a fan-friendly artist. That'd be my like elevator thank you to him. Um, if I could ask him a question, it would be, will you come on my goddamn podcast? <laughs> Tom Quee, our friend over at Alpha Metallica, asks, 
if all four of the guys now were to make solo albums a la Kiss, what direction could you see each of them going in? Uh, Ethan and I have touched on this before. Um, I think Lars would... Obviously, Lars and Kirk can't, aren't singers, so I think they would each make kind of like the Slash records. I think they would get guests, and I think Lars would make some kind of new wave of British heavy metal thing with a bunch of guests. I could see him either doing that, like leaning heavy into his influences, or I could see him wanting to collaborate in a way that's more pop. I know he's a big U2 fan. He's a big Oasis fan. He's a big Foo Fighters fan. Um, He's an eclectic cat, and I think that if he was basically just going to be like an MD of a project and choose the songs, choose the band, I could either see it being those two things. I think Kirk would make some sort of fusion-type blues jazz instrumental record with other instrumentalists that he admires. That's what I think he'd do. I think Rob would probably make some kind of funky, um, suicidal tendencies type project. Really surprising he hasn't, actually, all these years. And, of course, it's it's the obvious answer that James would probably make some sort of more folky, um, you know, outlaw, red dirt-sounding country Americana thing. Or maybe he'd lean more, a little more towards the Tom Waits side of that, which I think Tom Waits fits in there. Oh, shit, I just realized I'm treading on Tom Waits' territory, which is like Tom is the Tom Waits expert. Tom Quee is. And I, I, he, I don't even want to get it wrong. Well, actually, mate, Tom Qu- Tom Waits is, uh, to call him Americano, it's just a misnomer because uh, really it's uh, Appalachian Oriental uh, folk music made with bells and whistles and ch- he beats on trash cans and such and whatnot in the garden. So, I guess that answers some of those. There are quite a bit more of those questions. Um, I did want to segue into, speaking of the Damwells teaching me to write songs, so my friend Brad Lyons and I talk about this a lot, the difference between um, influences and uh, inspiration. And sometimes people that have influenced you in a way to be a writer, you may not be able to hear that in the music they make. And so... A lot of folks don't know that a lot of the music I make in my studio is country music or pop music. Because I'm trying to make that money, motherfucker. <clears throat> kind of. That's not the full story. But yeah, I'm trying to write commercial music so that I can feed my kid and pay my Mercedes uh, car note. Just kidding, I don't drive a Mercedes. I drive a fucking Kia. Um, so I have this friend of mine named Annie Wilgen. We write all the time. We write a lot of country songs, and we've been writing a lot of pop music. And... I've been listening a shitload to this new Lil Peep record. I'm going to play some of that for you later, much to the horror of some of you metal trues out there. Um, But this is a song that Annie and I wrote last week. I made the demo here in my studio. It's real bare bones. I mean, it's a really interesting thing happening in pop music now. I think Lord and Lana Del Rey have been setting kind of a new tone in pop music that's moving away from the Max Martin, uh, Dr. Luke, busy Katy Perry Teenage Dream stuff, which I love, by the way. Teenage Dream was one of my favorite records the year it came out, 2013, I think. Um, But it's moving towards this more minimal approach where it's like super sparse, the weirder the better, and it's real heavy on top line and and, uh, melody. So Annie and I have been working on this kind of music, and we sort of landed on this song called Phantom Feeling, and uh, it came out really well. I don't usually share this kind of stuff, I write three or four songs like this a week and you know they all go to my publisher or go an artist cuts them or something. But I did want to share this cuz I thought it was really fun and it it shows kind of the broad range of how you know 
I'm influenced and inspired by Metallica in in ways I could probably not even um, articulate. And yet that informs everything I do, even if it doesn't sound anything like them. So without further ado, here is uh, a song I wrote last week with my friend Annie called Phantom Feeling. Literally no one except my publisher has heard this. I hope you enjoy. Anybody else should be, but I'm not. I could sleep with anybody else, move on, but I've got these phantom feelings back in my mind. You put them there, staring at the ceiling. You don't care, you don't care. I know what they say, I know what they're gonna say to me. I don't need anyone to help me I'm not desperate for attention But I'll always let you hold me Whenever you remember that you want me Phantom feeling I'll be a phantom feeling My place ain't by your side I'm a lover on standby Sacrifice, no strings, but my hands are tied. You've created a shadow out of me on the wall. Complicated is better than nothing at all. I agree, it's unhealthy, but I'm the definition. I don't need anyone to help me. I'm not desperate for attention. you want me phantom feeling I'll be a phantom feeling I know what they say I know what they're gonna say to me I know it's not okay but I'm gonna do it anyway I agree it's unhealthy I don't need anyone to help me I'm not desperate for attention But I'll always let you hold me Whenever you remember that you want me phantom feeling happy to share that with people sometimes these songs go into this you know space um where they're being held for records and you never know what's they're gonna get cut or if anyone likes them and then a whole year will go by a whole body of work will go by and you don't really know if anyone's ever heard it so anyways i forgot to mention at the beginning of the show we're gonna be playing two rough mixes from cover our world blackened by the way 
coming up. Um, we're going to hear my version of Motor Breath, and then we're going to hear, uh, the show's going to end with Ethan's version of The Memory Remains. <sighs> Excuse me, burping. I'm drinking a few beers here while I do this in the middle of the day. Let's go to Twitter for a few questions. Minus human. Oh, this is Matt. Okay, wait. See, Twitter, you have like a name and then you have an at name. And usually it's the same. This is, these are different. Minus human, which is also at Master of Puns 13, says, Are you my dad? And, you know, that just depends. That depends on how old you are and, and, uh, and, uh, where your, where your mom is. <laughs> just kidding. Of course I'm not your dad. By the way, reach out to me later. I might be, I might, I might be your dad. Uh, at Alex and Chain says, what are your thoughts on Greta Van Fleet and what they bring to the table of rock? Well, I like the framing of that question. I haven't checked it out, man. I haven't heard a single bit of it. And uh, I'm aware of it. I'm aware of what's going on, that they're basically a Led Zeppelin ripoff, that they rock. They're young kids. They wear their influences on their sleeve. Some people fucking love it. Some people think it's a big fucking ripoff show. And I obviously can't weigh in on that part because I haven't heard it. But I'll, I'll tell you my thoughts about what I can weigh in on. I think that when you're young, you tend to try to emulate your heroes too much because you haven't found your voice yet. When I first started writing poetry, which yes, yes out there, I write poetry, the collective groan of the Metal Up Your Pat podcast community just came through time into my ears. But yes, I do write poetry. I don't share it very much. I'm thinking about publishing a, a book of it <clears throat> later. But when I first started writing poetry about 10 years ago, you know, it was basically all Bukowski. It was just me trying to write like Charles Bukowski. And if you're smart and you pay attention, you can find hallmarks of a certain style and you can copy them. You can parrot them. And if you get enough people who don't know who Charles Bukowski is to read it, they'll think you're some sort of genius. And the truth is you're not, you are, you don't know what your voice is or you're scared that your voice isn't a voice worth hearing, which might be true by the way. Um, and so you, you're parroting somebody else and it's not real. That's not real. It's fun. I mean, when I, I can't draw very well, but when I was a kid, I used to trace, you know, you could like get that tracing paper. The thing I would trace over, if my mom were here right now, she would corroborate this, over and over and over was the Guns N' Roses logo of the two guns facing away from each other with a big rose in the center. And I just, I had my parents go to an art store and buy me a bunch of tracing paper and like tracing pencils. And you can trace that shit and then you color it in and then it, then someone could come into my room and be like, oh my God, you drew that? Now, I could choose in that moment to be like, um, yeah. Or I could say, no, I traced it. I'm, I, I wish I could draw that good. When you're a kid, you tend to lie about that shit because you, you don't know who you are yet. Now, at some point, you got to figure out who you are, what your voice is, what you want to sound like. I don't know if Greta Van Fleet's done that. For the, the word I hear is that they're basically a Zeppelin ripoff. And I think that's one of the reasons I haven't checked it out. Well, A, I don't have time either. Um, I'd rather listen to Led Zeppelin <laughs> because Led Zeppelin, for what they were, no one touches them. No one. Not even Metallica. I mean, the Sabbath doesn't touch them. Pink Floyd doesn't touch them. 
what they did in that little corner of the world, the little Led Zeppelin mold, they are fucking untouchable. And so to hear a young band that try to try to rehash that it bores me. It makes me bored. Now the benefit of all this is the sad reality is many kids don't know who Led Zeppelin is and probably won't ever know who they are. So the argument could be made, well, if they're basically Led Zeppelin part 2, but these kids never heard of Led Zeppelin, then it doesn't matter. And that's true. I mean the the crushing weight of the meaninglessness of it all begins to show its face in this convo. Because if no one knows what they're copying, are they copying it? The tree falls in the woods, you lead a fucking horse to the thing, you teach a man to fish. How many horrible uh, allusions to truth can I summon right now? So there's my horrible answer to that question. Now, Frankster, at Frankster, says, Clint, which of these three would you rather have? Number one, James Hetfield's guitar skills. Number two, Eddie Vedder's vocals. Or number three, John Lennon's songwriting ability. Well, that's easy for me, homie. John Lennon, in my opinion, is the greatest songwriter that ever lived, followed very closely by Sir Paul McCartney. Almost neck and neck, but John edges him out. Because John wrote Strawberry Fields Forever, In My Life, A Day in the Life. He wrote Help. You know, he wrote Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite. He wrote Happiness is a Warm Gun and Glass Onion. Uh, he, he wrote the song Imagine, okay? He wrote Jealous Guy. He wrote Crippled Inside. He wrote Hold On. He wrote Mother. He wrote Working Class Hero. The list is endless. Um, he's the greatest songwriter that I know of in the world. And I would love to be able to write songs like him, and it, it seemed to me to be so effortless. He just had such a voice and such a character, and, you know, he wrote the songbook of Western music, as far as I'm concerned. So, as much as I'd love to be able to play, kick the chair and do the, yeah, yeah, and play that solo to Nothing Else Matters, and as much as I'd love to croon like one Mr. Edward Mueller Vetter and sing through my nose about being alive, even though he wanted to kill himself... (laughs) Oh, Eddie Vedder. He annoys me sometimes. And you know, I don't envy his voice. I never did. I never really wanted to sing like him. You know, I always wanted to be in that band with Stone Gossard. The rhythm guitar player, man. Stone Gossard. First of all, bitchin' name. How are you going to beat that name? Stone Gossard? I don't know anyone else named Stone. And, you know, he just wrote all those great riffs, man. And he just, he always looked cool and... He's he's got a good vibe about him. Always wanted to be Stone Gossard. If I wanted to be a singer, I always gravitated towards people like Rufus Wainwright or or even people with worse voices than that. Like I love the way Jeff Tweedy sings. I love the way Daniel Lenoir sings. I love Ron, uh, Ron Sexsmith. I love Peter Gabriel's voice. Uh, I like Tom Waits a lot. You know, he's got the song called "Ticket With Me" from Mule Variations that. I, you know, I sing it to myself privately all the time. I wish I could summon the soul-crushing character of his his voice. I just don't have it, you know. But see, part of what I was saying earlier is I've really grown into accepting what my voice sounds like. And I'm using voice in both ways here. Voice meaning the bigger character of, of what my music and output sounds like and my actual singing voice. 
And, you know, I can't sing like those dudes. And so for me to try to make music that sounds like Pearl Jam or Rufus Wainwright is silly. I can really only make music that sounds like me. And the best songs that I have are songs where I was doing that. I wasn't playing the, oh, I want to write my version of Stand Inside Your Love by the Smashing Pumpkins. Or I want to write my version of Ryan Adams' Let It Ride. Or whatever the fuck. Once I sort of put all that to bed and just leaned on that for inspirato rather than emulating that, is when I started writing great songs that I think are great. They're not great. I'm not tooting my own horn. You know what I mean? Like They're great in that they're, they're, they're who I am. And they may not win a Grammy or have a large audience, but they, the goal of true self-expression, honesty and purity, my voice, my thing, you know, that I nailed it. I did that because I quit all this other bullshit. Uh, a little bit tangent city here. Top three songs to listen to till your ears bleed. This is at Juna, Junae Lima. All right, off the top of my head, I'm going to go New Level Pantera. I'm going to go, this is the new shit by Marilyn Manson. And I'm going to go fucking, I don't know, Hit the Lights by a, a little-known Bay Area band called Metallica. Now, speaking of John Lennon being a great songwriter, I, I already had this plan before I knew that question was coming. The next song is a John Lennon song, and it's from a record called Walls and Bridges, which is one of the least popular solo records from the 70s, but it's... A great record. It's really trippy. He wrote the song called Number Nine Dream. And it's about a dream he had. And you'll hear in the song that it's very dream-like. And I'm just trying to see how many times I can say dream in 30 seconds. So dream on, dreamers. Here's John Lennon with a dream of a song. Honey, it's a dream. And it's called Number Nine Dream. He had a thing with the number nine, by the way. Remember that he had the song, Let's you drive another one after nine or nine. One after nine or nine, uh, Revolution nine, number nine, number nine. Strange cat, that guy. But we're going to check out number nine dream right now.
What an amazing song. Now, that's one you're not likely to hear much on the old radio. Because how do you compete with how do you compete with his 10 best songs? It's just what a hard thing to do. And, and for Paul, too. You know, Paul's still putting out records that he loves, that he cares about. But he will forever <laughs> just be living up to those, like, 60 songs. The, you know, that's a tough spot to be. I don't like the Mark Marin podcast very much, the WTF podcast, but he did an interview with Paul McCartney that I thought was really good because he actually talks about stuff like that. How do I live up to I'm more excited about my new record than Penny Lane, but Penny Lane is like the song of people hear Penny Lane and literally weep openly. At a Paul McCartney show, when he plays Beatles songs, people are openly weeping. Okay? That's the power of that music. When I was touring in the UK with Mindy Smith, my friend Mindy, we had a tour manager that was a UK guy. It made more sense to just hire a tour manager over there. And his name was Simon. And I sang to him every day in the Sprinter van, Well, hello, my name is Simon, and I like to drive Sprinters. I'll let you guess how much he loved that joke. Real nice dude, Simon. I can't remember his last name. But he was our Papa Bear. He drove us around. He made sure we got fed and paid, and he got our hotels, and he made sure the equipment was correct. There's a company out there called Matt Snowball that you rent all your gear from when you work uh, in the UK. And we were in London, and we had a day off. This is actually crazy. We had a BBC radio performance in London, and this was maybe 10 days into the tour. We go to the BBC, and they're like, hey, the hey, hello, uh, the next band's just wrapping up. They'll be done in two shakes of a lamb's tail. They didn't say that. But they said the band, uh, there's a band already in the room wrapping up an interview. They'll be right out, and then you guys are going to go. Me and Mindy played like three songs on the, on the BBC to promote the tour we were doing. Out walks our friend Daniel Tashin, who is in a, band, a great band called the Silver Seas. And then our other friends that are playing in his band, they're on tour in the UK too doing a fucking BBC interview. We were like, oh my God, this is... You have some moments in life where you're like, God damn it, the world really is small. That's not just a thing people say. It was just like Nashville up in the BBC at this bitch. So they had a day, a night off too. Oh my God, and we were staying at the same fucking hotel. There's this like hotel, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like where all the bands stay. They were staying there. So we finished, so we were like, we made, we planned a whole night together. And, uh, you know, we planned to go meet them 
And um, it's suddenly, I'm suddenly forgetting why I'm telling this story. Why am I talking about this? Simon? Oh, okay. <laughs> I promise you, I'm just, I've had like half a beer. That's it. So we had that day off. So we finished our radio thing, and I said to Simon, Hey, Simon, listen, homie, you got to take me to Abbey Road. Like, it's, I have to go. And I don't know how to work. I don't know how to deal with cabs and shit. I don't know. What, you're my papa bear. You're my tour manager. You got to take me to fucking Abbey Road right now. And he's like rolling his eyes like Jesus. Because the people over there, they're so over that shit. And he's like, I'll take you. I'll take you. But, but he parked like a block away. He's like, I'll wait in the car. I was like, damn, you're not even going to get out with me? And he was just like, hell no. Go. He's like, be, be your big boy. Go do your thing. So I'm lone wolfing it. The rest of the band didn't want to go either. Good God. So I go there, and you know, it's surprisingly a pretty busy little intersection. They're right by Abbey Road Studios, and then you got the crosswalk, right, where they did the Abbey Road cover. The bummer is that that's not the actual crosswalk. They ended up moving it, I think, to like a perpendicular street. Anyways, it doesn't matter. It's the symbol that matters. But what's happening is, in between people like stopping at the stop sign and like going to work and shit, people are like walking across and like getting their picture taken real quick. And I didn't have anybody to take my picture. I was all alone. But there were enough people around where I I was kind of scoping it out and, you know, going to make a move and ask someone to take a photo of me walking across. But as I'm kind of hanging out, and you can kind of sign the wall, that the gate that goes into Abbey Road, which is still a functioning studio. It's just grown-ups openly crying, just openly weeping. And it's hard to not get caught up in that when you're there. And one... One dude, you know, this is when I'm 35 now. This is when I was maybe 28, 29. And one dude in his 50s, he looked at me through tears and he just said, it's just like magic. He was like, this is just like magic. And I don't believe in magic and all that stuff, but I know what he meant. It was like that. Got the old lump in the throat and everything. Getting chills just thinking about it. That's how important this music is to people. So... It's unlikely Paul McCartney's new whatever bullshit record is going to compete with that, right? All right, let's move on to another tune here. I'm excited to play this song. Uh, This is from our forthcoming EP, Cover Our World Black in Volume 2. If you don't know what that is, Ethan and I have covered a bunch of Metallica songs, largely deep cuts, and we've largely tried to reimagine them and make them sound different, give you something unique. And we did it as a something to give away to our patrons. We have a very robust and beautiful, active uh, patron community where you donate a little bit to the show, and it helps the show move along, and it helps us with all of our associated costs. It helps us with our time. You know, this is in our day job and all, blah, blah, blah. You know the Patreon deal. So we made this EP. We thought, well, we'll give it to the patrons for free. If they're $5 or more, if they're a $5 tier patron, we're going to give them this EP. And we did that for a whole year. And now we've made Volume 2. It's better than Volume 1. And Volume 1, I think, is pretty dope. So we've made Volume 1 available to buy. You can buy it wherever you buy music, if you buy music anymore. But good God, I know it's a foregone time that no one can remember, like the fucking Prohibition or something. But you can buy the EP on iTunes, Amazon Music. You can, of course, do it for Frizzle over at the fucking Spungle, Spungle Dry and the Pandoras. Now, it's only $7. If you want to support the show, maybe you're like, I'm not going to give these guys $5 a fucking month. But maybe you'll give us $7 one time. You get the EP, we get some support. So, 
Volume 1 is now available to buy in all those places or listen for free. Whatever you do. Whatever. I'm not trying to judge you if you listen for free. I know a lot of you out there don't have a lot of expendable money. I totally fucking get it. I don't either. But Volume 2 will be coming out in about... where It's going to be like our Christmas thing. But it's just going to be for patrons for another year. And uh, the tunes are getting mixed right now. Mixing is where they take all of our beautiful stems and our friend Nathan Thomas makes them sound dope, makes them sound real. But we have some rough mixes that uh, we're going to play for you today. They're not, I don't, I think they got their own cool little flavor to them, but these are unfinished. Don't, honey, don't try to rip it from the podcast. It's not going to sound good. Now, this is going to be track one off uh, Cover Over Black in Volume 2. It is my sad Elliot Smithy reimagining of the thrash, almost said hit, but of course we all know it wasn't, the thrash song, Motor Breath. Enjoy. Any other 
Hey, this is Ethan and Clint from Metal Up Your Podcast, and we want to talk to you about something we love called Patreon. That's right. Patreon is a way for fans of the show to give back to the show to donate money that uh, helps us in quality and content. And not only that, but we've actually come up with all sorts of fun incentives to give back to you for supporting the show. Exactly. For instance, if you donate $5 or more, you get access to Cover Our World Blackened, which is the official Metal Up Your Podcast Metallica cover EP. That's right, and that's the only way to get it. In addition to the EP, we also give you priority email access, meaning we'll read your email first on the show. We give you early access to Patreon-exclusive merchandise, Patreon-exclusive giveaways, and any other side projects Ethan and I might be involved in. There's all sorts of things you can look at on there and you can donate to. Go check it out, patreon.com slash Podcast. How do you spell that, Clint? P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Podcast. And if you really think about it, $5 a month for an entire year, that's really just like a cup of coffee a month. So go check it out. Thanks, everyone. Peace. Adios. Now, I know what some of you out there are thinking, if you're still on the ride here, you're thinking, where are the tunes that fucking rock? I understand. I understand. You like to rock. Listen, you like to rock out. You like to rock out, I like to rock out. Ethan likes to fucking rock out. We put our horns in the air, and we bang our heads, and we rock out. And when we rock out, we're drinking delicious Diet Coca-Cola Classic. We rock out with aspartame, and we don't rock out with calories. No, sir. Zero cows in that Diet Coca-Cola Classic when you're rocking out. Another thing I like to do when I rock out is listen to some Corrosion of Conformity. I learned about Pepper Keenan from the Metallica universe. I never really checked out Corrosion of Conformity until I sort of in my deeper studies through doing the show learned that they were an alternative metal Allison Chainsy band that Pepper Keenan's this cool motherfucker and a great guitar player and a good lyricist and that none other than Mr. Jimmy James Het Sr. Esquire Field has guessed it on a song. I bought the record that song's on. It's called Manor Ash. And God damn it if it doesn't rock. And we're going to listen to that right now.
See, now, what I was thinking when I'm listening to that, especially that last verse in chorus, is I don't know what he's talking about. He's not man or ash. Whatever he's saying, I don't know. Now, compare that to any Dave Mustaine lyric. I hate to pick on the guy. But people are trying to say that that's good, that his lyrics are good. No, dude, this Pepper Keenan's a good lyricist, dude. There's just... He's just conjuring worlds. Not like a robot. His head's metal like a robot. You go listen to these Pepper Keenan records, man. It's like, he he's he can see a world I can't even see, dude. It's fucking dope. It's awesome. Um, I think that song really rocks. That's on a record called Wise Blood uh, that I recommend checking out. Let's go dip in on some few more questions here. At Mem Hoey says, what song or songs have made you cry? Uh, many of them. All of them. If it hits you in a certain in a certain mood, you know. If you're going through something in particular, there's a Dave Matthews song called Sweet that makes me cry because it's about him teaching his kid how to swim. And it, of course, makes me think about my daughter. And But he's such a great, he does such a great job of tying in what it's like to be scared of swimming into being a, a human being. Because as you all know out there, when you grow up and you have kids of your own, they look to you, you know, they look. They look to you the way we look to our parents. What's true? What's real? Are we okay? Um, am I loved? And, you know, what you realize when you got someone looking to you for the, those answers, you realize you don't know. And that you, really the scared kid inside of you is still there. And what being adult really is, is learning to, um, despite that, to move through the world. You got to get your job. You got to make money. You got to pay the bills. You got to buy the car. You know, like, you don't really ever figure the big questions out that you ask when you're a kid. And Dave, uh, he doesn't even write all that in the song. That's just kind of project all of that onto it. Um, my wife and I recently went on a trip to Asheville, North Carolina, without our kid. And we don't get to do that very much. And I was playing her the new Lori McKenna record. And we were both crying. I mean, to the track one, A Mother Never Sleeps. Go check that out. You'll cry. You'll fucking cry. No doubt. Lori McKenna. She's a songwriter who, uh, if you're a songwriter, you know who she is. She's written a lot of big hits for Faith Hill, Little Big Town. She's this chick who lives in, in Massachusetts, and she's like a, a, you know, a mom, and she's a family woman, and she just sort of happens to be one of the best songwriters ever. She wrote the song Humble and Kind, which is a big Tim McGraw hit. Um, but she writes these records about her kids, about her family, about being a woman. And they'll just, in three minutes, she'll fucking break you down, dude. She will break you fucking down. In a good way, though. And it just makes me so happy that there are people out there that can write songs like that. The Rufus Wainwright song, uh, One Man Guy. That'll do it for me. Um, there's a David Gray song called The Other Side about his dad dying. Meet, meet, meet Me on the Other Side is kind of the refrain. That'll that'll bring a tear to the old eye. Um, trying to think off the top of my head. I mean, there's so many. There's so many, you know. I I respond. I'm I respond emotionally to music, as I'm sure most of you do too. So it just depends, dude. If you're if you're if you're feeling love feelings for someone and it's been a minute, maybe you're in love again. Maybe you're in love for the first time, okay? 
and you're in a fucking subway and you got the meatball sub, even though you know it it creates bathroom time for you, but you got the meatball and cheese sub because you like it. And you know what? You're in love again or in love for the first time and you're going to have it. You may take that first bite of that meatball sub and, you know, the music's kind of playing in the background. You don't really know what it is. But in a quiet moment, you take your first bite and you hear what the song is. And it's this. When a man loves a woman. It's Michael Bolton, okay? And he's singing When a Man Loves a Woman. And just because of where you're at in your life, you will cry. You know what I'm saying? Like, I saw Jeff a Jeff Tweedy quote once that I thought was great. Jeff Tweedy is the lead singer of the band Wilco. One of my favorite bands of all time. One of the great songwriters of all time. Blah, blah, blah. He said that songs don't make you feel a certain way. They help you understand how you already feel. And I think that's really true. And I've had the stupidest fucking songs just break me down, man. I remember after a particularly grueling breakup once, I heard the... <laughs> I heard the song. <laughs> oh my God, I've never told anybody this, but I heard the song. I've just died in your arms tonight. Must have been something that said. Could have walked away. And it just hit me, dude. The emotion and the vocal, I don't know if it lyrically, logically pertains to what I'm, what I was going through. And it just didn't matter. My advice to you all out there is, when that happens to you, Happy or sad, okay? When a song hits you, you get the lump in the throat. I understand if you're like in public or something. But if you're by yourself in your car or in the shower, private moment, whatever it is, I would encourage you all to lean into that and let it sort of hit you like a wave. It's not going to last long, and you're going to feel better. And whatever it was you needed to do that that song was triggering, it's like the hairs in your nose that they help you sneeze out the bad shit. Sneezing's good for you. Oh, Lord. And with that, let's, let's hear another song. This is a song by Maddie Diaz. She is a... I know her a little bit here in Nashville. She's a Nashville singer-songwriter. Uh, she lived in L.A. for a long time. I have admired her from, far, from afar for a long time. She actually does have a song called Burn that has made me cry in a tour bus several times. We're not going to listen to that song. This is a more um, up song. Just masterfully created. She went to Berkeley, Berkeley School of Music. She made this with uh, her partner at the time, a guy named Kyle uh, Ryan. And uh, let's just listen to it. This this song makes me feel so many feelings. Uh, and right now, it's making me feel happy.
I love how it goes lo-fi there at the end. Like either like the song turns into the song on the radio, or it's like they're leaving the song behind. It's so fun the way you can do that little tricks in music that accentuate the message of the music that hit you emotionally. Uh, let's go back to some questions here before we move on. Uh, back in the Twitter sphere, at Michael Backfords asks, "What is what is Lars Ulrich's best drum performance post Justice?" Great question. I'm not a drummer. I, you know, I don't have any expertise on this. I'm sure the drummers who are listening are gonna pull their hair out, but I think there's a lot of pretty sophisticated stuff in the load and reload records that take a lot of grace and touch that are hard to do. There's obviously a ton of fast shit uh on Death Magnetic and Hardwired. The song Hardwired itself, the double kick and moth, spit out the bone, of course, uh All Nightmare Long, My Apocalypse. I, without being a drummer myself, I really don't know. Ethan might have a good answer for that, but I know that as a musician in general, the more restrained, pocketed stuff can sometimes be more challenging because when you're doing a blast beat, a lot of that's this muscle memory. It, it doesn't require the the taste and the strength to hold back. And I think you find a lot of that sauce in Load and Reload. Good question, though. At Bill Voronikos, what do you think is the biggest mistake Metallica has made in their career? Ooh, tough to say, man. It's tough to point at mistakes that the most popular band in the world's made. Because <laughs> they haven't made that many. I will say, before doing this podcast, two, starting this two years ago, I would have easily have said that the biggest mistake... Oh, shit. Well, I just dropped my phone. Um, I'll try to answer this question while I grab... It Like went way up under my desk. Great. You ever drop something and it goes in like the most impossible place ever? I would have easily said that the biggest mistake they made was um, firing Jason or letting Jason leave. Like the whole Jason debacle. Because it just seemed so senseless. They couldn't... James and Jason had this problem that could have been worked out. And it happened to... It was just coincided with James getting sober. They brought Phil in. Jason was unreasonable, I believe, about Phil towel and you know Jason had just had it you know I think he downplays the abuse he went through in that band these days I think he's older and wiser and wants to keep the peace and he's I think his his intuition is to be like ah, it wasn't that bad but I think that what you see in those few years there where it just hit it it came to a pat head what you see there when it all came to a head is you see a, you see two dudes that were just at the end of their rope for whatever reason. And I've been there in relationships, and it's you, it's easy to look back and say, you guys should, should have gotten in a room and talked, but when you're in the middle of that fire, that seems impossible. But you know, now I, I've just made a lot of peace with the fact that Jason's not in Metallica. And I think Rob, Rob just makes so much sense in that band to me now. Um, it, the, the low hanging fruit to answer that question is obviously, at least obvious to me is Lulu. But even then I like what the band has said about that. Was it really a mistake? It was a risk they took as artists. They got to make a record with Lou Reed, one of their heroes. And it's, it is a piece of art. It's a statement. It's, it was on their own terms. It wasn't commercially successful. It's strange to listen to, but does that mean it's a mistake? No, they lost money on the through the never film. Does that mean it was a mistake? I mean, financially, maybe, but if they had the money to take that risk and it was their loss, 
then I don't know. And they got the film out of it, which is really good. At, at the bare minimum, it's a great concert film with a great set list, and the boys look great, and it fucking sounds awesome. Get it on vinyl. Were the Orion festivals a mistake? I mean, I don't know. We got to see Escape live. We got to see the Black Album played from, from back to front. I mean, you know, we so many cool things came of what we considered to be their mistake. So I don't, I know it kind of sounds like I'm kissing their ass. I don't know. I mean, I'm not kissing their ass. I just don't think they've made that many mistakes. The ba- the lack of bass on justice, was that a mistake? I mean, I guess. But it's also the sound of one of the most important metal records of all time. It's just, you know, we have the, we're framing it in hindsight and all that. Brian Ward asks, do you think that, do you think the, let's see, do you think that the art subsidies are a good idea? Subsidizing income for artists to pursue their arts, yay or nay? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that goes back all the way to, you know, the artists of the day being patroned by the church to create, you know, the Sistine Chapel. People want art. People like music. People like visual art. People like content. People like movies and stories. People like storytellers. And for people to do those things, to make the music, to tell the story, to make the film, we have to be able to make a living to do it. Otherwise, I'm going to have to go go be a plumber or go work construct. I mean, I'm going to have to go do something. And I'm not above any of it or anything like that. And and Brian, he's a drummer in, in a band too, and he understands. But, you know, Canada has a pretty good model for this. They, I've played with a few Canadian bands, and that is a government that takes care of its artists, believes in its artists, helps them make records, helps them live, helps them pay their bills. Now, America is real big on this macho bullshit, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, make yourself, uh, they hate, hate welfare and hate all that shit. And now we've been, you know, proselytized and indoctrinated into this blind hatred of anything that resembles the dreaded socialism where everybody puts in and helps each other out. I mean, I have friends that live in Scandinavian countries that simply don't worry about crime like we do, healthcare like we do, education like we do. They pay a lot more taxes, but that money goes into the society they fucking live in. It makes a lot of sense to me. And obviously the cross-section of political opinion is varied and our common our common strength is the music of Metallica and music in general, and that's what's most important to me for sure. But in terms of, you know, subsidizing art, I think it's I not only do I think it's morally and ethically cool, I think it's paramount. I think it's really, really important that if you love something, that you support it. You know? I, I think most most of you folks out there understand that. Uh, let's do one more, and then we'll get back to the tunes. Carl says, What song would you like to see Metallica perform at the tribute concert for Chris Cornell? To me, Rusty Cage would seem pretty straightforward, but I would love to hear their interpretation of I'm the Highway or Fell on Black Days. Oh, hell yeah, any of those. Um, you know... I, I'm not really interested in cred. Like, I could name a bunch of deep cuts. I could say Fresh Tendrils or Mailman or whatever the fuck. I don't really care much about that. Like, that song, seeing them do a deep cut like that would be special for me. But 
I'm also thinking about what would be the best song to do, what would be special for the most people. And obviously it's going to a hit. I want to see them play one of their hits. I would love to see them do Fell on Black Days. I'd love to see them do The Day I Tried to Live. I'd love to hear James Hetfield sing Like a Stone. Um, you know, pick any of their pick any of their great songs, dude. Black Hole Sun, Spoon Man, Jesus Christ Pose, whatever. Uh, say hello to heaven. Reach down. Chris Cornell was the man, dude. He was the man. Now speaking of the man, I'm about to play a song by a guy who somehow gets away with having the nickname the boss. Any other fucking person including James Hetfield, is like, hey, hey guys, I hope it's cool. I'm going to run it by you, but just so you know, I'm not asking. I'm letting you know. I need you guys to start calling me the boss now. That's my new thing. Like, you know, you give yourself like a nickname. Everyone, anyone else in the world, you'd be like, hey, how about this? Why don't you go fuck yourself, boss? You're the boss? What, are you my fucking boss? What, are you the boss of the fucking unit? What, you're the boss? I don't think so. Especially you're telling a bunch of New Jersey cats that. Yeah, call me the boss. Go up to New Jersey, go to Hoboken or Asbury Park, and go to the Saint, a little rock club near the Stone Pony, and go start telling some of those people to call you the boss. And good luck with that. But somehow Bruce did it. And if you have dipped into Bruce's career, uh, then you understand. It, you, you, your eyes are open. You understand. Now, you may not know much about Bruce Springsteen. You may never have dipped in. You may not get it. You've heard Born in the USA. You've heard Born to Run. You've heard some of the tunes. It's not your thing. No problemo. But there, it is not a matter of opinion that this dude is one of the greatest songwriters, band members, front men, voices in music of all time. Living legend. He's got a song. It is on his greatest hits, uh, so it's not super obscure, but it, it is one that people don't talk about much. He's only played it live a few times. It's a delicate little tune, and I think it's probably the best lyric he's ever written. Uh, my first wife turned me on to it, actually, uh, about, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago. And uh, it's one of my favorite songs of all time, top 20, and it's called Secret Garden. Here it is, Bruce Springsteen. She'll let you into the parts of 
Gorgeous, honey. When he plays the saxophone like that, he puts the delay pedal on the saxophone. I love that song. Real good. All right, let's finish up some of these questions and we can get the hell out of here. We got Ethan's uh, version of The Memory Remains up next. Let's see. Take it to the old Instagram. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter. and We're on Facebook, although I don't go over there because that place is fucking toxic. And by the way, get off fucking Facebook. Do it. It's not making you a better person. It's ruining your perception of reality. You're being used and manipulated by robots to be politically divisive with people you would otherwise be having a cup of coffee with. It's no longer morally okay to participate in the dissolution of our fucking civilization. Get off Facebook. Now, having said that, we're on there. So uh, go join us and follow us on there. Christopher Overholt asks, what is my dream guitar? 
Um, I'm lucky that I have a bunch of cool guitars that I like. I've got a Bitchin' um, 81 ES335. A dream guitar would be a, a 70s Les Paul Custom, black, kind of like James's uh, Uncle Milty. Um, that's a dream guitar for me. But I don't spend too much time coveting shit like that. You know what I mean? Like, I've got a great, I've got a 67 Bassman. I've got a great AC30. Like, I've got cool stuff, you know, and I feel real grateful for what I have. Lauren Ochi Singh says, uh, thinking back to of Wolf and Man and Now Am I Savage, I got to thinking, if one of the boys was found out to be an actual werewolf, which one do you think it would be and what type of wolf would he turn into? Well, it would be James, and uh, he is a wolf. That's why he's basically trying to tell us something with all these songs about turning it, shape-shifting into a wolf. And it would be him. Uh, in terms of what kind of wolf? I'm afraid I don't know enough about wolves. <laughs> He would turn into Wolf. <laughs> Bane1775 says, With all the tour shows coming up in 2019, is there anyone you're excited about or planning to see? Other than Metallica, obviously. I know personally I'm doing my best to see Kiss, Misfits, Rolling Stones, Ozzy with Megadeth, and Iron Maiden. Well, you've got quite the rock and roll agenda going on. Um, I honestly don't go to many shows. I, uh, I have social anxiety, and I'm introverted, and I play loud shows for my job. So going to a show is not high on my list of things to do in my free time. Um, I want to see Courtney Barnett. She's going to be on tour. I want to see Perfect Circle. I want to see... I really. I tried really hard to get tickets to this Dave Matthews Band fall tour, this arena tour. They don't usually do that. They kind of do these summer sheds uh, every year. But they're doing a fall arena tour. Like they're doing Madison Square a couple nights at the Garden and... Um, I tried really hard to make that work, but my, my schedule is just not going to work for that. Um, I, you know, I play mostly on weekends and, um, going to see the boys Metallica four or five times in the new year. Real excited about that, but almost more excited about the interaction with metal up your podcast listeners and more of the social stuff that comes with it. The kiss thing. I, I think I'll probably go if I can, but I'm not excited about it. You know, this is. I have a whole history with Kiss, dude. It's it's heavy. It's deep. It's their last tour, but they're Paul's lip syncing, and you know they're kind of a shadow of who they used to be, and it's going to be exp- you know what I'm saying like all that shit. Um, I still haven't seen Lana Del Rey. I'd love to see her live. The idea of seeing people live, like I like the idea of it. When it was like, okay, you can go see her now if you just got to get in your car and drive to the Ryman and spend sixty five bucks and then find parking, and I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm not going to go do that. <laughs> Uh, it is a good question, though, and, and have fun at all those concerts you're going to. Cthulhu45 says, what's on your bucket list? Um, I don't really have one, dude. I really don't. Like, when I think about what I want more than anything, like, I would like to have a bitchin' movie room where I had, like, m- all my favorite movie posters up, some comfy-ass sitting situations, and a great surround sound home theater system where I could just really immerse myself in a movie experience whenever I wanted. So that's something I'm working towards. A few more here. I'm going to try to get to all these. Uh, Naho J. Tula says, what do you think of Metallica's acoustic shows? I think they're fucking awesome. I love hearing different versions of songs, dude. I love, because that's when you really find out. You really find out if a song's worth a shit, if it can survive deconstruction. And I think that when they do that, you find out, in Metallica's case, that they can. 
1FCN81 says, if you could interview one of the boys, which one and why? What would be a few questions? Probably if I could only do one, it'd be James. And I'd ask him a lot about the load reload era and the lyrics and the the depth and the imagery of that time. I'm curious in what he was listening to and reading and responding to viscerally that created those records and why that was such a unique window. And it's it definitely seemed to have closed. That seems closed. Um I'd want to talk about uh so that'd be the where I'd hone in on him. With Lars, I'd want to talk about um Sort of his cosmopolitan vibe. His, his world traveled. He's always been that guy that wanted to travel, see culture, see art, what it was like growing up in Denmark with Torben, being exposed to jazz music, having a good family, and how he's imparting that to his family and how the role that played in the formation and success of Metallica. Uh, with Kirk Hammett, obviously me and that dude would be talking straight up fucking horror movies because... And I know we have some listeners out there that are deep horror cats too, but I can really hang with that combo. And it'd be really fun to to have a deep combo with him about that. With Robert, I don't know. I you know what? I don't know what me and Robert would talk about. I really don't. Maybe fatherhood, because from what I can tell, he seems to be a bitch and dad, and uh, that's you know that's important to me. Kyle Serafini, Serafini, ever heard of Thomas Vision? I can't read anything anyone's writing today. Usernames, this guy. A Belgian guitarist that has some sweet all-acoustic covers of some Metallic and Iron Maiden tunes. Never heard of it. Aurelien Moreau, if you had the possibility to set your supergroup, who would you recruit to support you? All right, well, we got to get Steve Vai in there. I don't know. He seems he seems like he could help on in many different areas. Old Steve Vai. Who else are we getting? Carter Buford, drummer for the Dave Matthews Band. Go watch two video. Go watch, go do a sampling. Go watch five videos of him playing drums. All right, you'll understand why I chose him. He can literally do anything. Um, bass playing. I don't know. Flea? I don't know. You know who I'd really get if I really could? If, I, if money were no option and I could really put a band together? I swear to God, it'd be mostly my friends. I'd get Ethan Luck. I'd get fucking Paul Moak. I'd get my friend Brad Lyons. These are some of the best musicians I know. And uh, we'd we'd swim naked in the fountain. Edgar says, if Metallica was to collaborate with Gaga again, but this time playing on other songs, what song do you think they should play? It'd be cool to hear her do Memory Remains and do the old uh, Mary and Faithful shit. Now, speaking of that, I bring you the next cover of World Black and Two song. Again, it's a rough mix. These are being mixed currently by our pal Nathan Thomas, your Patreon. Donations help make shit like that possible. Um, but Ethan sent this to me, and I thought it sounded so good and so cool. I love hearing him do a uh, reload song. And he gave it the reggae treatment, which is super fun. So let's dip in and hear the mirror remains. I'll come back and say bye after this. Here we go. I 
And that concludes this edition of Metal Up Your Podcast Radio. Thank you to all of you who listened. Thank you to all of you who support the show, who send us emails, who, who are on the ride at Patreon. We really appreciate all of you. We couldn't do it without you. You make all the work worthwhile. And uh, patreon.com slash Podcast. The cover of our Black and EP Volume 1 is for sale at iTunes. You can leave us reviews for all of that stuff. Only takes a second. 
I hope your turkey day was good. I hope you ate and drank too much. And I hope that you still enjoy your family's company. And good God, we'll see you on the flip-flop. Bye. Captured your heart. Oh, I can't believe I captured your heart.